Attention golfers, if you're looking to upgrade your game with a set of high-quality clubs that are blazing fast, beyond forgiving, and beautifully made, check out the all-new PXG Gen 6 Golf Clubs. Not only are they easy to hit, they deliver outstanding distance and incredible accuracy, lowering your scores and bringing you more fun on the golf course. What more could you want? Schedule your Gen 6 fitting today at pxg.com or by calling 844-PLAY-PXG. Welcome into another edition of the Stripe Show podcast. It is a froggy Wednesday, and I'm telling you, there's no better guest than the guy we have on today. Yeah, we had a crazy U.S. Open week and so much to talk about, but I still want to go over what happened at the RPC Canadian <laughs> Open. And so, you know what? Other than having Nick Taylor on, who won, who made the amazing putt, to be able to have Adam Hadwin, who, who kind of became a story, not even trying to be a story, just trying to support uh, his friend Nick Taylor really is uh, has been a big deal. But uh, first, I would be uh, absolutely remiss as a golf fan to not go over what just happened um, this past week at the at the U.S. Open. What what a great tournament! Yeah. Um, real quick, Adam, thank thank you so much for being here. P- appreciate your time. I know you've got a week off, a well deserved week off after two crazy weeks in golf. But uh, you you played the U.S. Open. We could talk about that. But yeah. good to see Ricky up there again, playing mm-hmm. well. Three good days. Uh, wheels appeared to come off a little bit on Sunday, but that takes nothing away from what Wyndham Clark was able to accomplish last week. No, it was a great week. Um, I know there's a lot of discussion about the golf course itself, and obviously the first two days with scores being as low as they were, um, it called into question kind of the venue and, and the U.S. Open or the USGA's choice, but I really love the golf course. I think that walking – and I understand it was a terrible walk for fans as well. They kind of bottlenecked, didn't get to a lot of areas of the golf course. A lot of the fairways were sort of, you could only be on one side of them. Um, But from a player's perspective, from my personal perspective, I think it's one of the greatest pieces of property that a golf course has been on that I've been on. And I say that simply because you are in the middle of Beverly Hills and you have this like untouched landscape that, you know, was there a hundred years ago when the club first started. And um, I thought it was a really fun golf course. I thought it, it it tested sort of everything. Yes, the fairways were a little bit wider maybe than we're used to at traditional U.S. Opens, but right. it was extremely penal if you missed. Um, there was a lot of wedges out of that Bermuda, and um, the green complexes were crazy. And then and things just kind of get – kept getting firmer as the weeks went on. And you saw that reflected in the scores on the weekend. I mean, I think, what was it? 10 under was leading through two rounds and then 10 under one. So right. um, it was a great tournament. I mean, it produced obviously an incredible champion in Wyndham who has taken off these last three, four months. Um, that win at Quail kind of probably as much confidence as he had already, that probably skyrocketed into another level. And um he just played solid golf. I mean, he did what he had to do, uh, come down the stretch. Um, I think Ricky or Rory would have been a very popular people's champion. Mm-hmm. Um, and either of them had a really good chance of winning and, um, it's not easy. And you get, a, like I said, you get a little bit off, even on a little bit wider of a fairway or, I mean, because the greens were so firm, you had to be very exact going into the greens. Otherwise you were going to have difficult two putts and, um, you know, it, it can sneak up and get you and, and at any point during the week. And um, 
it got him. It got Ricky anyways there on Sunday. Was it too easy earlier in the week? And I and I use the term too easy very lightly because listen, I mean, yeah. I'm talking about for you guys, for the for the, the the caliber of players that were there. Was the golf course easier than you expected, I'll say, on Thursday and Friday? Um maybe, but I, I think I don't think that's a USGA problem. I think that's just a conditions problem, right? So you can set up the golf course in a way that will challenge players, but if you don't get any wind, which we didn't on Thursday, the I played Thursday morning. We had marine layer and a slight drizzle, um, nothing to take the umbrellas out, but it's still enough to keep the greens soft and from you know from firming up. Right. And that marine layer never went away Thursday afternoon, and the winds never came. So. Yeah, in that condition, you get a little bit wider fairways and the greens are, I mean, they're still firm, but they're receptive. Um, and I think the one thing that may be different from other U.S. Open golf courses is we had um, maybe a few more scorable holes, right? right. So you had one in eight par fives that were both reachable if you had good tee shots. You had uh, three and ten were both kind of flip wedges into the green you had six that was a drivable par four um 12 if you hit the fairway was another wedge in um and then 15 a, a wedge par three so in that regard you had probably six or seven holes that you could you know you, you play well you you're gonna have legitimate looks at birdie um, right. and i feel like past us opens that might be like two to four holes Right. Um, Fair you enough. know, and then, and then the other holes, you just kind of buckle up and hang on. Um, and so you combine all of that together and you get a, a couple guys shooting eight under. Um, uh, if you look at that morning wave though, I mean, two guys shot eight under and the next closest score was three under. So it's not as if it was like everybody's shooting crazy right. numbers. Right. Um, and then, you know, as you go on, they let the golf course firm up a little bit marine layer hangs out friday morning i played friday afternoon it went away the sun came out the breeze picked up it wasn't blowing crazy but still six to eight miles an hour made those fairways shrink just a little bit more and all of a sudden the average score was three and a half over par and you know nobody was coming close and then you know we saw what happened on the weekend things firmed up even more the sun was out breeze was up a little bit and shooting even par one under was a great score so i think that from a player's perspective, I think the USGA did a great job of setup and I think they've done a great job of setup and letting sort of the conditions dictate the score than previous um, US Opens. I mean, you can go back to Shinnecock where players are complaining about losing the greens and losing the golf course. And, you know, I think they did a good job that if you play well, good shots get rewarded. And that right. to me, anything else is uncontrollable really at that point you can't control what you know if you're predicting 20 mile an hour wins and you only get five but you've set the golf course up for 20 scores are going to be lower correct um, and so you know i would much rather see a golf course that good shots get rewarded bad shots gets get punished rather than setting it up the opposite for you know uh, presenting us with a really hard golf course thinking conditions are going to be easy getting the opposite and the golf course being impossible where good shots aren't even rewarded anymore um, right. which we've had so, happen before a hundred percent no 100 percent. and listen it doesn't matter what tournament you're at guys are going to complain <laughs> i mean it doesn't without fail if the golf course is too easy oh it's too easy 
you know, look at the numbers. If the goal, you know, if we're, if bad shot, if good shots aren't getting rewarded, then we'll complain that it's too difficult and, it, and it's not getting rewarded. So um, you're talking about the best players in the world that are there for a reason. And there's just, there's not much defense anymore in, in the world of golf when the conditions um, are easy, no wind, somewhat receptive greens. There's just no defense anymore. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter if the course is 8,000 yards long. Right. Um, I think you saw that at Aaron Hills. Um, what was that? 17 or 18, uh, 17 maybe where longest golf course in us open history and they're setting scoring records because there was no wind and it had poured rain. So the golf course was soft. Yeah. And that's another thing is that, you know, they're trying to make it so you guys have to hit the ball shorter with the, with the, with the, you know, with the ball rollback. Right. But then every time we turn around, they're trying to build golf courses longer, trying to make current golf courses longer, make the U S open longer. So, you know, what, which, which way are we going? We can't, we can't go both ways. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Obviously, I don't have a say. I don't have much of a say. I'll play whatever equipment they tell me I need to play. Um, I do think they're catering to a very select group of individuals at this point. I mean, we're talking, you know, I mean, they're basing numbers off of what, like five to 30 people in the entire world, you know, that compete at our level and that kind of stuff. Obviously right. the college, the college kids coming out are getting longer and faster and stronger and every year they do that. Um, but it's still such a small select group of individuals that they're basing everything off of. Um, and if anything, they're going to make it harder, um, for the rest of us. Uh, they're only, right. they're only increasing that divide right now, you know, longer hitters will always have an advantage. And I think with a ball rollback, they would have even greater advantage. I think so too. Like I, I think the ball rollback only benefits the guys that hit it super long. A guy, that hits it average. Not there are no, there's no such thing as a quote short hitter. When you look at, at amateurs that play golf, nobody on the tour is a short hitter. There are guys that hit it shorter than the long hitters, but the average hitter is going to be penalized more than the guy who hits it three thirty. I agree one hundred percent. You know, I I also think that if they did roll the ball back, there's going to be certain courses that I can't go play. Tory Pines, right. I would I would legitimately not be able to play Tory Pines at the current length. Um, if I go there and I play an event there, you know, I was talking about this to my caddy or somebody else the other day. Like, I'm gonna have to play my absolute best golf to get into the top 15, top 20. Like, trying to sniff a win is, I'm gonna have to play a plus game for four rounds straight, which is just very rare to happen on the PGA right. Tour. But um, if they roll the ball back, I'd have no chance. Right. And see that, that that's where they're going to eliminate, but by, it feels like what they think they're trying to do and what they're actually doing and accomplishing are two completely different things. A little bit. Um, I mean, if I had a, if I had any input, what I would say is limit the driver size, go back to a smaller driver size, make, make miss hits off the driver more punishing so if a guy's hitting it solid off the center of the club face he can still hit it 300 yards and he can still hit it straight but if he hits it a little bit off the heel it now spins more and it goes more offline guess what guys are going to have to swing slower because they're going to have to keep it in play they're not going to be right. swinging at 130 35 miles an hour anymore because they know if they miss it they're out of bounds right 
Right. So that that's where like I could see a small part of it being the ball and limiting it a little and and but I I do think some more of it has to be um the driver heads are just so forgiving that no you know you could swing as hard as you can miss hit it and it still goes pretty straight. Like I remember seeing a, a tailor-made commercial and this is bad because I'm sponsored by Callaway, but it was, you know, Scotty and Tiger and all those guys. Yeah, they were trying just, to miss the face. And they're trying miss to the miss center. the face. I mean, he hit it so far off the high toe, and it literally, at least the shot tracker anyways, was dead straight. I'm like, that there should be a 50-yard duck hook left that traveled 210 yards. Right. You right. know, so you reward if you start to bring that in, rein that size in make this sweet spot smaller, you reward the guys who hit it out of the center and you can still get distance, right? Like, wasn't it um, somebody the other day or, you know, month ago or whatever, maybe Tiger, he's like, look, I picked up my old, you know, persimmon or my old, one of my old clubs and I still hit it 295 out of the center. But if I missed it, it went 245. Right. Things like, things like that, I think would have a bigger impact because a guy like myself who swings it at, let's say, 114 on average, if I'm hitting the center, I can still hit it my 280, 285. But if I, you know, but somebody who's at 125, they can rein it back to 118 and hit the center all the time, and they still have an advantage. Right, right. That makes sense. Speaking of Rory and, and TaylorMade, it's good to see Rory back up in the mix again. Hard to believe. It's been 33 majors since Rory won a major. It really, you know, when you really put that into perspective, all these years, it's been it's been a while, and now it it seems like the putting is what's holding him back. If you remember last year at the Open Championship, he had a chance multiple times, didn't make any putts, and then he didn't really what I would consider make any really long putts uh, coming down the stretch on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, Rory's obviously one of the greatest talents of, of my generation, for sure, right? I mean, something, I mean, his work ethic, the way that he's uh, handled the limelight and, and everything, oh. um, certainly one of the best players in the game. Um, winning's not easy. I mean, I, I you hate to, like, I know he's missed his chances. I mean, you go back to that open. Cam Smith, I didn't, you know, didn't exactly give him much wiggle room either. Correct. Correct. Um, and wouldn't you know, wouldn't didn't back up and, and make no. himself catchable. He, I mean, he he did no. what he had to do. A hundred percent. I mean, you're talking the U.S. Open, right? Where level par is supposed to be important. I mean, exactly. Wyndham did the everything that he needed to do. Um, you know, was there a few opportunities for Rory to make a few putts on Sunday? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, you know, he led the field. I think tee to green, sixteen greens on Sunday. So he certainly, from a ball spiking ball striking perspective put himself in a position to to make a run um and to have a chance to win but again you know those greens with the way that they were it's so difficult to give yourself an uphill putt that you can be aggressive with right. and so you can you could be hitting good shots all day but putting from 12 15 feet above the hole that has you know two three feet of break on it right. ones that you know, more than likely you're playing with your buddies. You, you probably make a few more, but you also probably three pot a few more because right. you're a little bit more aggressive. Right. And you're now you're just trying to die and hit the high side. I mean, it, not, not exactly the putts you're, you're going to make all of the time and, you know, throw in Sunday pressure and trying to, you know, you know, you have to make them to try and catch Wyndham um, makes right. it all that much harder. So, yeah. Before we get into 
uh, RBC and obviously tons of other things going on in the golf world. I've heard some people think that maybe the miss putt on Saturday night, that little putt Ricky missed on 18, mm. could have carried over into Sunday. And so not that not that you're Ricky or, or you're in Ricky's head, but you've been in a position before where you've had a lead or you've won a PGA Tour event. Does something that happens late on a Saturday carry over to Sunday? Is that possible? I mean, I think that you'd want to say no, right? You got enough time to kind of re regroup. And, you know, at that point, I think it took him, it took him from what one ahead to one to even with to even point. He was tied to the lead with Wyndham. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, you'd want to say no, but I can't imagine that at some point it wasn't in your mind potentially during the round. Um, if not for, if, for anything else, just the fact that it's an extra shot that you'd have to make up potentially. Right. Um, you know, it's an extra shot that he had to play with the next day. But definitely not uh, the reason the wheels came off on Sunday. No, 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 hundred percent. I don't, I don't think that, the, I don't think that putt on 18 was, was any reason of, of, or any precursor, let's say to what happened on Sunday, you know, he had played really good golf for three days. Yeah, it's very hard very very difficult to play great golf for four days straight right. and you know you like i say you get a little bit off on a golf course like that and you know you miss an up and down early or something like that your ball striking is maybe not as great as it had been the first three days and that kind of puts pressure on everything else and um again you i mean your final group u.s open sunday like right. i haven't been i haven't been in that position before so You've led a U.S. Um, Open after a round, though. I mean, yeah, it was a first round, so it's a little bit different than three <laughs> rounds. But um, you know, I mean, I played I played final round U.S. Open with Scotty last year, um, and watched him go like three under through five or three under through six or something stupid like that to tie the lead. Um, you know, and I was doing my best to kind of just hang on. Right. Um, and uh, again, you don't have your best stuff, and. You just you battle as best you can, and some days, unfortunately, you know, a seventy-four or seventy-five is the best that you have, and um, it feels, you know, if he starts the tournament with a seventy-five, and then battles his way back to finish where he did, he's probably, right. you know, he's not dissatisfied with the week. He goes, oh right. yeah, it was there, and I battled back, and then unfortunately, he played three solid rounds and ended with a seventy-five, and so it's it's right there in front of you with everybody talking about it. Right. Um, but still, I mean, your top five in a major, it's still a pretty solid week, despite oh. what took place on Sunday. And considering where he's been at what, you know, considering yeah. he, he, had, he had not qualified for some majors, I know losing the card was even coming into perspective. I mean, coming into a possibility. And so it's good. It, it really is good to see um, Ricky back and, and such a great U S open. And mm -hmm. Wyndham is a very deserving champion. Absolutely. Nothing. Nothing to take away from what he was able yeah. to do. Um, let's go back 11 days. <laughs> 11 days ago, you uh, finish your round at the RBC. Do you start to leave or do you do you look and see that Nick Taylor is in in the running and, and, and you therefore you're going to hang around being Canadian, being Nick Taylor, you're playing your country's open championship. Do you start to leave or did you hang around for on, on, you know, on purpose? No, I definitely hung around. Uh, we were, I, I was telling somebody else this, it was kind of a perfect storm of everything, right? Obviously Canadian open, 
I had, I had only teed off about an hour in front of Nick. So there wasn't a ton of time, obviously during the round of golf, I knew what he was doing and in the lead and all of that. And so, yeah, definitely going to hang around, go support him coming up 18, uh, regardless of the outcome, uh, what might take place and, uh, yeah, to be there to support him. Um, it was, it had the potential, you know, when I finished to be just an amazing moment in Canadian golf, one of the greatest moments in Canadian golf, really. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I wasn't going to miss it. No, it really was epic. And then never would have thought, uh, you know, that, that I think 18 at that on that day was playing the easiest hole in the golf course. And yeah. so it, it was almost a little bit of a foregone a foregone conclusion that 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 Fleetwood was going to birdie that hole and win the tournament, and then he hits an iron yeah. to be safe and blows it right, and then hits the next shot on that downhill lie, yeah, almost chips it over the green. I mean, at that point, he's hanging on just to get into the playoff. No, hundred percent. I mean, Nick Bogey. I was watching on TV. Nick Bogey sixteen, and um, bounced right back, birding seventeen, eighteen, right to get in the clubhouse, oh. and. Um, and then I think shortly after Nick birdied 18, you know, Tommy stuffs it in on 17 to tie him. Correct. And, uh, yeah, certainly at that point you're thinking, okay, well, we're going to need to have some fortune here. Um, right. you know, like you said, 18 is, it was kind of a, it's kind of a funky hole. It's not a great finishing hole, but it certainly produced, uh, a lot of drama, uh, mm -hmm. on the week. And, um, yeah, so I would, you know, Nick went to, I think, hit a few balls. We were watching on TV. Um, you know, he obviously hit it, it hit in the rough off the tee. Like, okay, this is this is a good start if you're cheering for Nick at this point. Like, we've we've got a chance here. And the uh, second shot was mind-blowingly then, right. Yeah, the second shot came off, and the immediate thought was, Nick might win this outright at this point. Like, this right. is not going to be. I mean, he's going to do well to get down in five total here. Right. And so obviously, he gave, I mean, he had a really nice putt there from 35 or 40 feet down the hill um, right. and tapped in. But I mean, there was the excitement and everything going on around that 18th green was, I mean, it was a, it was an atmosphere. I don't know if I've ever experienced anything in my life. Um, I think obviously being Canadian adds to it. Um, only thing that I can ever think of is you know, President's Cup, a couple of them that I've played in. And the first one, we got absolutely doused in New York. But the atmosphere and stuff was was awesome. Right. Um, but then yeah, the playoff we were, starts. Yeah. And we were all out there. And and um, and he stuffs it in that playoff. Like, you think it's over. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah it's Nick, over. He's Nick got knocks what? it in. And, and Tommy's got, what, like 20 feet or so? And you're like, okay, but, this could be it. But that play, but the putt that he had, the the – Fourth shot in regu in uh, final hole in regulation, I think that putt helped him on that putt. Oh, most definitely. I think it because, was the same line, just a yeah. little bit shorter, right? So he rolls uh, that in, and yeah. then like, wait a second, now the pressure's on Nick. He's got to make this little curler. Thankfully, he had that same line earlier when mm -hmm. he made his putt on uh, on eighteen in regulation to make birdie. But you think it's over yeah. when they hit their approaches, and then now we got to go to another hole. Oh and yeah, it's just like, and then yeah, it was it you know. Yeah. It was it kept, unreal. It, it kept going, and and I think both of them kind of had their chances. Tommy had a pretty decent look on the – I think it was the third playoff hole when they switched over to number nine, the number part nine. three. Um, kind of had an uphill, and – and um, but, yeah, just 
I mean, to keep going, you know, from a player's perspective, from my perspective, a little bit, I, I think I remember texting my wife. I said, man, I, I get like uneasy feelings as these things keep going because it's normally, you know, somebody wins it like the first couple holes. They'll mm-hmm. make a nice putt or something like that. But as the playoffs keep going, usually it's like somebody loses it. Right. And somebody hits a bad shot here or something. And then, so I, I don't know, like just because of the, the enormity of the moment, the moment, I kind of almost got like a little sick feeling into my stomach. Like, God, I just, I, you know, you've seen such good golf and stuff and they've had their chances. You don't want something to end on, you know, a sour note, whether Nick wins on, you know, Tommy making a mistake or not, it just, and then it all unfolded. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I felt, I felt like if Fleetwood had a one, it would have been almost like when VJ won. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, it would have, it, it would have like if he had even, especially if he had a one on eighteen there after everything that happened. I mean, it would have sucked the air out of that place. Yeah, so for fast. sure. So we get there, and Nick's got a putt. What was it? Seventy feet long, seventy-two feet long. Seventy-two feet, I think. Yeah, Seven, so seventy-two foot putt. He hits the most beautiful putt, oh. perfect pace. And I mean, it it could not have gone more center no. cut. It drops. You saw the look on Tommy's face. Tommy didn't even look to be. Remember, he's never won a PGA Tour event in the states. It was a big win for him too. He's trying to win. Not that they were in the states, but he's never won a PGA Tour event. He even had a look of, you know what? That's just yeah. That's poetic justice. The I way mean, it's supposed what, to end. Yeah. I mean, what can you do? Like as a, as a player in that situation, when somebody pulls off something like that, um. You know, take take away the fact that Nick is Canadian and it is the Canadian Open and nobody's right. won for 69 years and, right. and all of that. Take away that fact. If you're in a playoff and somebody pulls off something like that, I mean, there's there's not much you could do. You no. can't do anything but shake the guy's hand and say congratulations. I mean, yeah, that's you didn't incredible. lose the tournament. He won. No, absolutely. 100%. And I think as a player, that's the – if you're going to lose, that's the best way that you can lose. Is that somebody somebody else went out and said, I'm sorry, but I'm taking it from you. Right. And I don't want to miss a three-footer to lose. I want him to make a 72-footer, and I'm like, hey, man, you know what? You Good damn well you. deserve it. Good on you. Yeah, and then obviously you add in Nick being Canadian, Canadian right. Open, all the history, all of that right. kind of stuff. And it's, you know, I'm I you know, Tommy's one of the nicest guys out there, and I'm sure that there was a large part of him that was extremely disappointed that it wasn't him you know, getting his first PGA tour win, but I'm sure there was a part of them that was really happy for Nick um, in that moment. hundred percent. So now the good part. So you (laughs) are standing greenside. They had had shown you guys on the telecast a few times standing greenside as they do like, Hey, look at the support of the other players here. They want them to win. It was, they were really doing a really good job of of building it up. Now, nobody knew, you know, what, what was coming with with the, with the 72 foot putt because that was really was the most perfect ending. Oh yeah. So are you holding the bottle of champagne or do you go grab it? No. So this had started at like the very first playoff hole where tournament director kind of came out and said, Hey, I got good news. Uh, catering company that we use just, you know, presented us with a few bottles of champagne. Would you guys, if Nick wins, would you guys want to go out and spray him? He was talking to Corey and Mike and myself. And, um, um, yeah absolutely i mean i i hope he you know i hope he'd appreciate it and i think nick's agent was kind of standing beside us as well so i'm like hey do you would is that something nick you think nick would be okay with and he goes absolutely just go for it okay so 
the bottles were there during the first playoff hole and the second playoff hole because nobody really moved. Um, and then kind of lost track a little bit as we had to walk over to nine to watch and walk back to 18. But, um, yeah, when that putt went in, obviously they, they showed my reaction. I mean, I was over the moon for right. him. And then I just kind of, I looked down and there was, I remember seeing a bottle there. So I like was trying to unwrap it as quick as I could trying not to like pop the cork into somebody and trying to figure out like the best way to, to to get it off and i'm kind of sneaking around and i actually ended up what i thought was kind of like a perfect moment right like once everything had kind of settled nick had celebrated he had already shook tommy's hand he's kind of in the middle people are coming up to him but it's like it's him and dave and they're having a hug and none of this was planned i didn't like it just kind of worked out perfectly and so i just i come around the corner and all I'm thinking about is just spraying him and getting him as doused as possible. And, you know, all of a sudden this guy comes around, Nick and Dave, and I'm on the, before I can even realize what's going on, um, I'm underneath him and uh, there's a cop. Like, this is the only thing that I can remember from that moment. I don't remember what the security guard said. I don't remember if he said anything after. I do remember the cop kneeling beside me with the security guard on top of me telling me drop the bottle that's what i remember and i don't know why it's probably because i fear authority <laughs> like i'm like yep take it i'm out <laughs> like swear i'm not doing anything wrong here um but within you know within a second there was like four people over top of them saying no 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 he's good he's fine he's not a threat um and so you can see like in the video afterwards right they, they both kind of helped me up the cop kind of looks at me, hands me back the champagne bottle. Um, you know, I, I've got my, I don't remember, like security guard and I have our arms around each other. So I'm sure he was saying something to me at that point. Like I didn't feel any hurt or anything. And um, I think at that point I like, I even turned like Nick was like an afterthought at that point. Right. Like he was so um, engulfed by everything, you know, all the reporters and everything. So like, I couldn't even get to him to give him a hug or anything, but um, I think I turned around and like looked at the crowd and started shaking the champagne bottle again, just like, I don't know. It was such a wild moment. Um, I mean, hopefully something I'm never part of again. That guy can't, I mean, if you, I mean, I'm sure you've seen the video oh, yeah. from all 72 angles. The best angle I've seen is from behind you. Mm -hmm. he does like a swim move on Nick oh, yeah. and his caddy <laughs> i mean it's like an nfl linebacker trying to sack tom brady i mean he literally oh, yeah. just squares you right up and it when did you see him like did you see him come around or was he in your face by the time you saw him i think he was in my face before i even saw him i think like the euphoria of the moment was so big and the adrenaline that was like running through me um for Nick and for that moment in Canadian right. golf and everything was there was so much going on that like, I was oblivious to anything else happening. Like my one mission was to spray this guy with champagne. I think and, you got him a little bit before he got you though. <laughs> I think so. And yeah, like, I think I, I, I was so confused at what took place. Like again, thankfully not like I wasn't hurt. I didn't, thankfully you weren't hurt. I mean, that yeah. you, you could have easily separated your shoulder there. I mean, who knows in that, in that instance. Right. But, uh, you know, thankfully I wasn't hurt. Um, 
we could all take a look at all the video angles and, and all of that afterwards and have a good laugh. But yeah, during the moment itself, um, it was like I blacked out for, you know, that 10 or 15 seconds. I mean, I, 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 I'm sure that I saw him coming, but I probably didn't even like recognize what was about to happen. Right. Like I didn't realize that, Hey, I'm a plain clothes jeans and a hoodie running onto the green towards the guy that just won. Um, where was your card? Yeah. Your I, it was, it was probably in my pocket. That's, oh, okay. that's where it was. Right. So, but I mean, even in that situation, like, even if I had have been wearing a credential, yeah. I mean, is it like, would that have been enough for somebody probably to like, not. not, you know what I mean? I probably think, not. yeah. I mean, in that situation, I'm sure that again, if Nick won, yeah, he did, but I'm sure they're being told, look, if this guy wins, you need to contain because right this is about to get bananas here like this is this has never happened for us we don't need to know what's going to happen and you need to make sure that people don't storm this green and here i am like a plain closed hoodie wearing you know jeans storming the green right so um i certainly can't fault him for what he did um i'm i wish it would have gone down slightly differently but um certainly made for a great moment when did you talk to nick after about it how soon after was he able to know what happened um, I think he knew right away cause you could see his caddy kind of running over at me. So he knew that I got tackled, uh, process wise. I think it was probably the next day. Um, he was, he was being escorted out to do all his media and all of that stuff post win. And, um, I was able to give him a, you know, a hug and, and stuff there, but it was again, very brief. And I mean, it really wasn't until, like Tuesday of us open week or something when we were, or maybe even Wednesday when we were going to play nine holes together right. um, that we were actually able to like, I was actually able to get to him and, and tell him congratulations again and, and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm sure he thinks it's hilarious now that it's all said and done. I'm yeah, I, I think he does. I mean, I hope he does. I, I, again, I mean, there was no, obviously zero intent. I'm, I'm sure everybody knows that like zero intent of trying to, create my own moment oh no in, for sure not no moment. i don't think anybody um, i don't think anybody thinks that where's the bottle so i think uh well apparently they they have it um and they're gonna stick it into the canadian golf hall of fame um, okay but i'd like to uh i gotta confirm that anyway you know there's gonna be a picture <laughs> along with that bottle oh, yeah. mid tackle you know there's gonna be. oh yeah i'm listen i'm gonna print one up and i'm gonna frame it and i'm gonna have him sign it for me so i saw you signed your shirt yeah, I saw you sign the shirt, and you, and so so do you. Do you have the cork? Mm-mm, I got nothing. You got nothing. I got nothing but the jeans and the hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. I tell you what, it it really did make for a good moment. It's good to it's good to see him him win that. It's it it, re- it could not have been a better, more scripted finish. You couldn't write a better ending to what happened, uh, m- minus the tackle. No, I I don't disagree, and I think you know with the live. Um, or the the uh, the news about the PGA Tour and the PIF fund um, that was dropped on Tuesday of Canadian Open Week. Um, you know, it's two years in a row the Canadian Open has had, let's call it live PIF Saudi news drop. Um, yep. You know, D- Dustin Johnson left to go play the live event in London the week of the Canadian Open. Gave. He was an RBC ambassador, gave them like a day notice that he was leaving and taking off. Um, 
And then, you know, last year they got Rory winning with Corey being in the final group or second last group and, and going down to the end. And then this news dropping this year, you know, again, it like, it seemed like it was again, going to be a stale, you know, here we go again. But then right. to, to have what happened, just, it was poetic justice and the tournament deserved it. Speaking of the PGA tour PIF merger, there's just so much to unpack. It's like, as a fan, as somebody on the tour, I was always team PGA tour and didn't like where the money was coming from. I understand that there are businesses and business being done with the Saudis. I just didn't like the way it was done. So for a year or more, we've been trained as they're the bad guys, they're the bad guys. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden on the Tuesday of RBC Canadian open week, it's, Hey, Kumbaya, we're all going to be one. It, in the words of Tom Watson in the open letter, it's a tough pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. It's and, and, and I'm just a fan. So as a guy who pledged his support to the PGA Tour, I have so many questions. Number one, is it true that nobody knew until the news came out? Did you find out like we found out on Twitter and, and news sources? Uh, that I could a hundred percent. Um, I got a text from my wife that said, what's the deal? Cause she saw, I was driving to the course and she saw it on social media first. And so I went in, I checked my email and sure enough, we had an email from Jay and, um, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was very, it was surprising in the, in how quickly that it happened. Right. I'm not surprised that it happened um, in that I, I kind of thought in some way, listen, the, what they're doing, what the Saudis are doing with their PIF fund is, um, I was actually reading a little thing about it the other day, um, is sort of they're diversifying away from oil being their main driver of economic activity okay. and they're using sport as a way to do that now mm-hmm. i'm sure you can debate the ethical areas around that correct um but this is you know from what i've read is is one of the ways they're trying to do that now so for me it kind of just always seemed that eventually at some point especially because the live model was based around, you know, 40 to 50 of the best players in the world. And they didn't get that. They got, let's call it what, five to 10 profile names that, you know, could be used to draw a crowd, right? Probably another 15 to 20 guys that kind of fill the field like myself at a PGA tour event. And then 10 to 12 guys that, nobody really cares about correct and and i and i say that i say that is like no disrespect to anybody playing because if you get to the golf's highest level you've done something extremely right but um that's just a i have no problem calling myself a filler of the field middle of the road player it's just facts right like i'm gonna go to certain locations at a pga tour event and there might be 20 people because I'm Canadian that'll come out and follow me. Right. 
doesn't matter where Rory goes, he's going to have 10,000 people that want to follow him. It's just, right. it, just the way the world works. And so because they didn't get that, um, I don't know. I just, I kind of always assumed that eventually something was going to happen between the really? two. They wanted to be involved in golf. They wanted to be like, that's their ultimate goal. I think, right. Is to be involved in the highest levels of golf. Um, I'm sure they were seeing some success with live. I think it has been growing. Um, I'm sure there is some merit behind the team stuff, but it probably wasn't, maybe they weren't forecasting it to be what they thought it was. Let's say. Right. I agree with that. I think they got some names they didn't think they'd get, right? but they didn't get as many as they thought they would get once they got, yeah. I think maybe in a meeting they said, you know, there's probably not a very good chance we get DJ Brooks, Bryson, right. Phil, Sergio, but if we do, we'll probably get a ton of other guys. Mm-hmm. And that didn't ever pan out, but, but you, you kind of thought this was something that, that could happen even before it did happen. Yeah. And, and not, I, I, and I don't know in what capacity and we still don't know in what capacity. Right. That's my next question is. Yeah. Like, I mean, at this point right now, they have a quote framework for what could potentially happen and nothing's official. I mean, nothing's a long way away. Correct. Oh my gosh. We, I, I don't think that. I mean, I think the guys, you know, Jimmy Dunn and Ed Hurley and Jay and, and Yassir and these guys that put this together, I'd be reluctant to think that they even know exactly what this is going to look like. Um, I think that between the two entities, they just got, they got together and, and both of them got to a point where they, I, they didn't see another option, I guess. Right. Like, right. So now yesterday there was a player meeting. I guess Jimmy yes. Dunn spoke yesterday. Have you heard anything about anything that no. came out of yesterday? Unfortunately, no, nothing, nothing that nobody else has read on Twitter um, or anything else. I haven't asked any players how it went or, or anything like that. Um, you know, based on what I've heard, I've, I've heard that it's a, that it was a, you know, maybe a less emotional meeting than the one that took place in Canada. So you were in the first one. I actually wasn't even in the one in Canada either. I was out in the golf course doing a practice round. Oh, so, you didn't even go. No, and 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 the reason, I'll be honest, the reasons that I, I might have gone to the one at Travelers just because it had been a week and kind of settled down and maybe they'd have a little bit more for us. But most of the time, they don't have anything for us. They don't have any like revelation thing that they're going to share with us. Um, and to be honest, it's just a, it's a, a bunch of guys yelling and complaining at the, at the person holding the meeting. Right. And so it's like nothing of like, nothing of use, let's say for me, like there's no real information leaving the meeting. Um, I would have hoped that at yesterday's meeting that they would have actually had like, Hey, this is what we're thinking. This is the direction we're thinking, you know, some of that. I, I'm not even sure in this instance they would have had any of that just because there's so little concrete information about what's happening. So at this point, we still have to get approval from the Department of Justice, correct? I that's I think. I, I don't even know myself. I'll be honest with you. Um, and then, and then when there like is, they're looking into it, but. The, the headlines were live and the PGA Tour are yeah. merging. 
Correct. That's not the case, correct? No, and I think because so you basically you have three entities at play here, right? You've got the PGA Tour. Okay. You've got PIF, which is the Saudi sovereign fund that they use to invest in everything. Right. So the PIF is invested that uses their oil money right. to diversify. So they're invested in Uber and Starbucks, I believe, and you know, and a host of uh, American companies, as well as they're the the PIF owns the Newcastle soccer team. They just right. Uh, have invested a bunch of money in WWE, F1, so number of different things. So that's a completely separate entity on itself. And then Live is its own separate organization similar to the PGA Tour. The PIF, though, is the driving money or has been the driving money behind Live. So that's probably where those two have sort of become interchangeable, let's say. Okay. But the deal, the framework deal, is between the PGA Tour and the PIF. Okay. So with so, that being said, does that mean that live the guys who have left to go to live, the live players, they will still be separate from the PGA Tour and whatever entity they're talking about setting up between the two? Technically speaking, I believe so, yes. Again, okay. <laughs> I don't, again, I don't know specifics. Um, but that's the way that I would interpret that. Um, what I have read again, I haven't been in either meeting, um, from what I have read and from what I have understood of people talking is that because it is a separate entity. So they've created, the idea is to create a whole new for-profit enterprise that the PIF is investing. That's sort of what they're investing in. They're not necessarily Correct. investing in the, uh, not for profit PGA tour. It's for the for-profit entity. Um, which Jay will become, I think, CEO of, and he remains commissioner of the PJ tour. Okay. Um, but from what I've read is that there was this idea that at the end of the year, or as this framework continues, that Jay and the PJ tour board will look to see how live and its assets and its players fit into the global game and where it might be going um and okay. whether like that type of thing and so there's a lot of spe you know there was a lot of speculation especially early like well lives done because right just gonna get rid of it but that's not um, the case and then you have obviously a lot of uh you know talk recently i mentioned earlier like it sounds like they're getting sponsors now like the team majestics popped up with a, a clothing, uh, like a, a sponsor for their clothes, you know, a, a patch on their clothing. So, you know, it live, you know, live players are coming out. Well, we have a 24 schedule, a 2024 schedule, and it's moving on like it's normal. So right. that's why I say like, there's so many unknowns. Um, and this is like a, you know, a guess I would say at some point, you know, the game of golf will likely be not necessarily, maybe not necessarily under one roof per se, but I think that the goal of it is always to have the best players competing against the best players week in, week out. That's what's best for the fans. Correct. It's what's best for the game of golf itself. And so 
I'd have to imagine as we move forward here within this framework or whatever happened. I mean, again, none of this might ever happen. Um, this investment money coming over might never happen. And then they just stay with live. Who, I mean, who knows the, the possibilities are really endless here, but. Okay. So that's another question that I have. And before I lose that, I'll go ahead and give you that one. And I've got another one. Let's say it doesn't happen. Doesn't that put the PGA tour in a really tough situation to now what keeps the guys that stayed from going? I have to imagine that like the hardest part. I think is that we both know, and I think most people, if they really thought of it, understands like money rules the world and you have a sovereign wealth fund that is invested into golf and wants to stay there. And has has a bottomless pit hundreds of billions of dollars that I understand they are business people. They do not want to lose money, but they probably will spend a little bit more money than is necessary if they believe there is a reward on the other side of it. Right. And so that is an extremely difficult thing for the PGA tour to go up against. Correct. And that's the thing is nobody ever saw something like this coming in mm -mm. and happening. So while I know there's been a lot of, of disdain towards Jay, and I know that, that there's been talk about Jay being removed and Jay being replaced and all this, I'm not in a position to even say whether Jay handled this right or wrong. I don't like what's happening, but yet it felt like the tour was going to continue spending millions and millions of dollars, basically bringing a pea shooter to a cannonball fight. (laughs) And they were, I mean, live was never going to stop. The the legal battles could have gone on forever. And so I don't think anybody ever imagined something like this could happen. And so that's why it's a situation where I don't really know what could have been done different. People say, well, Jay handled it wrong. I don't really know that there was a right way to handle this ever. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. And I, and, and that's where, like, look, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not an employee of the PJ Tour, but the PJ Tour is a billion and a half dollar corporation, billion and a half dollar entity. And at some point, you know, you think of a normal company that I would just be sort of, let's not say a regular employee per se, but let's say, I don't know, middle management or something like of a nationwide billion and a half company. I'm not going to know what's going to happen behind the CEO and what decisions are being made. Um, My chief issue that I've taken out of this whole thing is that he had a lot of time to prepare for live. He had a lot of time to say, okay, if this happens, what direction do we go in? If this happens, if a bunch of players start shipping it and start leaving, where do we go? What do we do? Let's have a plan in place for when this happens. And it just, as a player, it felt like it, he wasn't prepared. And again, I don't know everything that's gone on behind the scenes. I don't think any of us do. I don't know but it just even the decision making even the players getting together behind behind his back or whether he knew it or not to get together 30 of them and say hey what do we do to me um you know that was in in Delaware at the BMW championship so that was what 3 months after the first live event like mm-hmm. even something like that tells me that there was no direction or at least it, it appears that there was no direction, right? I mean, 
that should have been happening six months before that first live event. I mean, it was a threat and I know they thought it was dead in the water, but there's too much cash over there to think that it's dead in the water. I mean, you have to assume that nothing is dead in the water. And that much money tied to it for sure. A hundred, a hundred percent. Like they had, you know, they had legitimate funding and, and from people that weren't probably going to go away. Um, and so that would be probably my chief complaint. Um, I've, I, I have nothing bad to say about Jay. I've really enjoyed our interactions over the years. I thought he's been very personable and, and all of that. Um, it's just during this, everything was so reactive that um, it felt like it could have been better prepared for given the time frame and given that all, it's not as if Liv just popped up literally one day and said, all right, here's the event. Here's who's coming. We're starting. And you go, holy crap, what just happened? I mean, right. they had it. They had a year to prepare for this. Now, I've also heard that players who stayed, because that was the big question. You know, there were guys that took the money, but then there were guys rumored like Hideki, who had, I've heard 300 million offered to him and he stayed. To those guys, were you ever offered money, Adam? Were you ever, were you ever, were you ever contacted about going to live? I was not, I was never given an offer. I never sought it out. Um, and again, that's probably what drives some of my opinions on this as well, because um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't categorize my myself as somebody who stayed loyal to the PGA tour. Like I wasn't going anywhere. I didn't have anything to go anywhere else either. So would you have gone um, given an offer? No, probably not. I I had discussed with my wife. I had talked with my agent if anything would ever come. I truly believe that probably everybody has a number. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sad to say. I mean, some some would say no. Some would say I disagree with you. Um, again, I believe that money sort of rules everything. And And yeah, I'm sure that I could have seen myself going somewhere else for a certain price. I just knew that I would never get it because I'm not, I'm I'm not worth that much. And I know that for a fact. Now, Um, what is this entity that they're creating that they've said players who stayed would have a piece of, have you heard anything about that? No, I don't, I don't know. I have, I have, have you heard that? Um, I have heard that. Yep. I've I've heard the same things. And, um, but I I have no idea. I mean, I think it's just simply a way to like, I mean, there's gotta be a way to reward guys that stayed. Correct. I think so. I think that's the attempt that they're going to make to say, look, this wasn't all for nothing. Um, You know, but I, I, again, there's so few details about everything. Um, You know, I don't believe that if there was anybody or if there was anybody that knew that this was going on, it was probably in some sort of ambiguous context of like, hey we've had meetings but i don't know if anybody actually truly knew that this framework was going to be announced when it was yeah i mean and and it it sounded as if when it was announced and now i think we know that's not the case that these live guys brooks bryson dj phil you know all of them they were just going to walk back into the pga tour and just start playing golf again that's not happening And I think that if that did happen, there would be some type of revolt from players who stayed of like, hey, this can't happen. I mean, I still think there'd probably be issues with 
a number of players if they if they're if they were to ever come back. Um, I think Jay was very adamant in that you know since that first London event that like he will do everything in his power to make sure these players do not play in the PJ Tour again. And he sat at many and many of meetings throughout that year and reiterated that point. And so does I think, that point still stand now? I don't know. <laughs> I think, I think the landscape has changed in the last six months to a year. Um, I mean, you as a player don't, what is your feeling on guys just walking back in and playing again? Who, who, who took all that money? You know, as somebody who didn't turn, I'd be a lot more upset if I turned money down right? and guys came back and I, I didn't necessarily, let's say, call it getting mine. Um, you know, again, at some point as, you know, I, I know I've had a, a, a pretty good career, right? I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's great. Right. Uh, it's, you know, considering other guys on the PGA Tour and stuff, it's been pretty good. And, um you know, at some point I've got my opinions and, and, and everything, but like, I just want to play golf at the highest level. Right. And so, yeah, would it be, I'd be a little disheartened to see if they came right back. Yeah. After everything that was said, I don't think it'd be, I think it'd be a pretty big slap in the face for him to, you know, for Jay to stand up for a year, then make a deal and they could come right back. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't, I don't know. I don't think that they're going to be, I think there's going to be a time where we're all playing together again. I do. A hundred, I, I do. Eventually. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if that's next year. I don't know if that's three years from now. I don't know what it is. Right. But like, you know, there was talks of like making sure that these guys couldn't sign up for Q school and stuff prior, which I thought was just asinine. I mean, in, in fairness, like, to me, if somebody left, took the money, and then let's say the idea was always that Liv wasn't going to make it and that they'd have to come back to the PGA Tour. Right. Um, but to not let them even go through the basic steps of like, yeah, if you go through Q school, you get your card back, then why not? I mean, I haven't been as emotional, I don't think, about some of this. I understand that a lot of it's business and mm-hmm. um, and we don't know a lot that's going on. But um I don't know. It it all seems weird. Uh, but again, like I said, I kind of figured at some point some of this might happen anyways. But the fashion that it did and how quick that it did was a little surprising. It's crazy to think that this is happening in the game of golf. I know. It really is. The yeah. most gentleman sport there is is having the most unbelievable just back and forth. And, and, and yeah. I mean, a year from now, where is it going to be? Nobody truly knows. I agree. Um, I'm a just as interested spectator as you guys are uh, watching this all unfold. Really, um, you know, there's a lot to there's a lot to happen, and there's a lot that's kind of uh, like you said. We're, I'm not sure where we're going to be six from six months from now. I we're not sure where Live is going to be six months from now, and and will they have a schedule for next year? Will they right. any of this stuff? I mean. I don't know. Um, will we have a full? Sch- I mean, will we have a full schedule next year? And what will everything look like? And this announcement of all these designated events and limited fields, and I mean, there's so much going on internally with just the PGA Tour itself right. and right. all of the changes. Let alone 
all of the extra stuff on the outside. Right. Speaking of designated events and we're 75% of the way through the, you know, through the major season. Now, if you want to, I always selfishly living in Ponte Vedra, consider the players to be one of the majors. So in, in that, in that case, we're four fifths of the way mm -hmm. through the uh, major season. I know you are taking this week off at the travelers. It starts tomorrow. Uh, well, where will you play again as you, as you prepare for the final major of the year, the open championship? Uh, I'm currently not in the open yet, so I'm going to have to do some some good things in these coming weeks to play my way in. Um, but I'll be in Detroit at the Rocket Mortgage, and then I'll be at uh, in Illinois, Moline, yeah, Moline for the for the John Deere. Okay. Um, with the idea being that I'll play well enough. I think the only way now to get in is through world rankings, and so I'll have to climb very close to top fifty um, to get in. Um, Where are you now? I'm not sure after U S open last week, somewhere around 70. Okay. So it'll take a couple of good weeks. Obviously the fields, uh, you know, a good week at travelers would have gone a long way, but it was just too much, too much travel and, and back and forth between coasts and uh, busy weeks. So, um, you know, the fields won't quite be as strong at rock and mortgage and Don Deere, but that's, it's still, you know, you gotta play good golf to win regardless of the event on the PGA tour. So a couple right. of good weeks there. Well, I follow you on uh, on Twitter and on Instagram, and I follow your wife. I know you've got some house projects. That uh, did you did you ever oh, get yeah. the sprinklers finished? I know you were working on your own sprinklers. Not no, too long we ago. had I had I had to call the experts in on that one. I couldn't uh, I couldn't get them hooked up. So yeah, <laughs> it's so, dude, some of that stuff is just like really. And then and then you call an expert and they fix it in two minutes. And you're like, why couldn't I figure that out? Yeah, I got into I got into some of the wires, wiring stuff and and trying to rehook that up and that's just I mean, I got a pretty low pay grade when it comes to yep. household chores, so that was yep. way above mine. It is. If you don't follow uh Adam and his wife on Instagram, you uh, on Twitter actually, you, you're missing out. She's 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 as good of a follow as you are, no doubt. I've heard from a lot of people. I mean, I'm sure if people start following her, it's a way better follow than me. She's a lot more uh, funny and witty. She is very opinionated and 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 not afraid not afraid to share her opinion, <laughs> which that's exactly what makes it so much fun. Though, but, uh, appreciate you joining us, man. Appreciate you being so candid. G good luck at the uh, at the at the Rocket Mortgage and at the John Thank Deere. You. Hope hope to see you at the uh, at the Open, and then of course before yes, you sir. know it, it, it's crazy how it all just goes so fast now. The players was in March, then you got Masters. Then you got PGA, then you got US Open. The Open, before you know it, will be in the Fed FedEx Cup playoffs. I mean, it really just, it moves so fast. And now this year, we've got a real off-season. Are you looking forward to an actual off-season in golf? I mean, we do. But if you don't finish high enough in the FedEx, you still got to play in the fall. The fall now, you know, everything continues post-playoffs. And um, that 125 number isn't set till the end of the fall. So, um you know, the idea being that I'm going to play well enough in the next, you know, month or month and a half, six weeks, whatever it is left uh, to be in the top 50. Uh, that's kind of the number everybody's shooting for. Because you get in that, then, yeah, it becomes a like a true, true off season. Right. Um, and you can take as much time as you want. Um, I think those guys that make the playoffs, that 51 through 70 number, um, could treat it as much as a, as much of an off season as they want, but their mm -hmm. FedEx is going to kind of keep ticking and they'll fall down the priority ranking list a little bit. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, the last couple of years I've had two months off before I, before I've started. So it's definitely felt a lot closer and, uh, 
you know, the idea of getting into the top 50 and potentially having three or four months off is really nice. <laughs> Something to play for. Exactly. hundred percent. Good deal. Well, I appreciate it, man. Good luck to you. Thanks for your candidness and uh, good luck moving forward and good luck on the last quarter of the season we got ahead of us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate it, Adam. Yeah, no problems at all.